Okay, amigos, here we are at Rancho Alegre Radio with another great interview, this time with the great Johnny Hernandez, of course, of the famous Hernandez family, Little Joe Rocky, Tejano Orquesta Legends. And we are here with him in support of the book, The Cotton Picker, an Odyssey. And Johnny, muchas gracias for coming to Austin and sharing this uh, info with us and letting us into your experiences, brother. Well, thank you so much, Frank. It's, it's a real pleasure to be with you guys, and um, especially since I do have a little history. Oh, with yeah. K-O-O-P, <laughs> which is in the book. That's know. right, that's right. But uh, I'm, I'm, I, I not brag about that everywhere. <laughs> you know, I went in to do an interview and turned into a co-host. <laughs> but uh, well, that's awesome. I, I, I thank you guys so much for the invitation. The pleasure is all ours, brother. And, and let's go ahead and start, okay? Now, we know you come from the, the legendary, you know, Orquesta family, Chicano music, whatever you want to call it, um, with little Joe Rocky, like I mentioned. Pero let me ask, it may be a dumb question, but how did you decide this is what I want to do? Well, you know, I, I actually started singing uh, when I was about four or five years old. Okay. And um, without realizing, I actually was doing concerts because my... Uh, grandparents who lived at the opposite end of the block uh, at the house where I was born, right. you know, would summons me, <laughs> you know, sing for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I would sing uh, the song called Yo, written by uh, Jose Fredo Jimenez. Right, right, right. <clears throat> and, uh, and at that time I was, uh, uh, I had a lisp, uh, you know, and so I would sing it tartamudo, you know, <laughs> and then they would show, you know, real funny, right, right. ando borrato, you know, <laughs> that that kind of thing. Right. But in uh, years later, it, it hit me, it dawned on me that that I had been doing concerts at that young age right. because they would all stand around me este, and, and, and listen to me sing the song. And then it dawned on me that it was a professional a concert because I got paid a, a, a penny tootsie roll right. by my grandfather, <laughs> so it was for pay, right. and 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 that's, you know, um, it just uh, something that I grew up and uh, listening to. Um, in fact, I learned English through listening to the general market songs okay. and, and singing them and sitting in with groups at a very uh, thirteen, four, fourteen years old of age and. Uh, <clears throat> writing down the songs and so I never thought about uh, you know I didn't think about it as this is what I want to do or right. I didn't think about it as uh, is it something that I would think about it was just a natural thing right and so I didn't think about it one way or the other it was just something that came natural and right. I sang everywhere I went you know and influences <clears throat> I mean I'm sure there was like you mentioned Jose Alfredo Jimenez and others what other music? Because I noticed your catalog, it's everywhere. You know, yeah. You, you do the blues, well, you do, you know. That's because the house that I was born in was in Temple, Texas, was in the predominantly black neighborhood. Oh, okay. You know, and we were a few of the families within several blocks, you know, and it was our family and the neighbor, and then you you go down the block, it's all black uh African-American right, families, right. and then my my grandfather and my cousins at the other end. <clears throat> and then the, the other Chicanos or Mexican-Americans or Mexicans uh, were further up, you know. So we were pretty much uh, 
uh, in a, in a uh, black neighborhood. And I don't know if I heard the blues before I heard Spanish, to be honest with you. Gotcha. You know, I grew up listening to Nat King Cole and uh, uh, Jimmy Reed and uh, the Ink Spots. Right. You know, and my elder brothers who uh, traveled the world uh, very young, one of them joined the Airborne and the other the Navy, and uh, they'd come home and leave, and they'd turn us on to... uh, all the, 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 the beautiful music that was being produced back then by right, right. Tommy Darcy and Glenn Miller and, and all the vocal groups. So I was um, Mona Lisa. I, I was a kid who loved Mona Lisa at five and six years old, right. you know. And, uh, of course, B.B. King and Muddy Waters and, and Lloyd Price and, you know, Chuck Willis. I grew up with all that right. and singing, uh, you know, trying to learn and sing their songs. And then I grew up listening to Los Gorriones de Topo Chico, de Mexico, right, right. and uh, Los Alegres de Teheran. Oh, yes. You okay. know, uh, at first, those were the conjuntos, Mexican conjuntos right, that I right. learned. And then, but the most influence was my father, whom they call La Cotorra, right, which right. is a bird that never right, yeah. shuts up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly, you know, it never stops talking. Right. You know? that, was, that was my father. And his brother, uh, Demetrio, was called La Araña, uh, Spider-Man. Okay. He was quite a character, man. <laughs> Mr. Bojangles himself, you know. And uh, they were uh, our heroes. They played the guitars. Both of them played guitar and sang first and, and second harmony, as Joe and I grew up to, did, right, to do, right. you know. As the, so some of the songs, that early songs that we recorded were songs that we heard Pop and my uncle sing. Right. Uh, at home, there was there was always parties, so they were the major influence. But their influences were Miguel Aceves Mejia, right. Jorge Negrete, uh, Antonio Aguilar, all of the cine yeah. stars, I guess, uh, and and of course that the, uh, the gentleman that um, got killed in a, in a car uh, plane crash at the. It was the biggest star from back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pedro Infante. Pedro Infante. That's you know. right. That's right. So I grew up on the Spanish side, and then José Alfredo Jiménez, that was it. That was the, the utmost, the epitome of, of our heroes uh, and that we got to meet later on. Uh, so that influence as the, with the, the blues and, and the big orchestra, because we were into Frank Sinatra from the get-go, <laughs> right. you know, and, and Woody Herman and Joe Williams, mm-hmm. you know, singing with the Count Basie and Duke Ellington. Right. Those were our influences. So the reason I say that is because people are always talking about what is real Tejano music. Right. Real Tejano music is the Mexican song married to American uh, music. And that's why we have, even as a, uh, when we first started with only two, two horns and then grew into a larger horn section, even then we were creating arrangements with riffs that belong in a big band. Right, you know, right. But in polka, in two-four beat. Right, right. You know, uh, so the, the riffs were like jazzy, big band style. And that's what set us apart. And, and, and then... Uh, Isidro Lopez, the godfather of Tejano music, you know, and Sonny Ozuna, the god uh, of uh, Talk to Me fame, and, and the Sunliners, and then uh, Sunglows first. So these bands, and Little Joe and the Latineers, uh, and uh, uh, learning off Isidro Lopez and Alfonso Ramos right. from here, um, 
we all were creating a genre without realizing it. And that is what true Tejano music is. Right. It's a horn band. It's American music fused with the Mexican song. Right. You know. And then later on comes your, uh, uh, in the late 80s, or, you know, mid-80s, late 80s, comes the uh, the modern Tejano group right. with uh, electronics. Right. Before that, we had, uh, th they just referred to a conjunto as a conjunto. Right. From right. Texas, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the Mexico's was Norteño, but our conjuntos were simply referred to as un conjunto. And the orchestras, before Isidro Lopez broke away from the big orchestra, those orchestras were like like a Glenn Miller right, and Luis right. Alcaraz de Mexico, you know, and uh, Tommy Darcy, where the setup was, you know, uh, 15 horns and a rhythm section, all instrumental music, and they have the guest vocalist on the side. Right. And right. during the night, they'd come and sing one or two songs and move back and then come back. Maybe they'd sing four or five songs within the whole uh, set. Right, you know? right. But it was all instrumental. And that's the way Beto Villa and Juan Colorado were, you know. And Isidro Lopez was with them. And when he broke away, he reversed the process. And it became all vocals with a couple of instrumentals. You know, right, it literally right, reversed right. the cycle and it went from a uh, uh, 12, 14 horn band to a six horn band, seven horn band. And that's where Tejano music became Tejano music. Right. You know, right. And, uh, and, uh, and they would be playing mambos and cha cha chas that were uh, uh, from general market, you know. A T for two and, and stuff like that, right. and so that was the uh, the crossover thing for them. But when the younger bands came in after, uh, you know, uh, our hero Isidro Lopez, and uh, Alfonso Ramos was with Ramos and Guerrero at the time. Right. Then he formed his own, uh, you know, orchestra, and and that's where Tejano music was born as a genre with horns. Right. And right. and that is when I talk about Tejano music, I I refer to it as True Tejano music. Right. Nothing uh, negative about the new generation. No, of course not. As right. everything evolves. Right. But true Tejano music is horn bands. Right. And before that, they would call it uh, orchestra music or conjunto. Right. And then when we came into the scene, it became first La Onda. And then they tried calling it Tex-Mex for a while. Right. right. And that didn't work because it got taken over by... Uh, groups like uh, eclectic, uh, eclectic music, like by his own admission, Freddie Fender, right, you know, right. and, and the Texas Tornadoes, and Duck Sam, and and groups like that, that would play rock, rockabilly rock, you know, Tejano rock, and mm -hmm. uh, that kind of stuff. Right. So that took over the Tex-Mex uh, title, and then the Tejano settled in, which was really La Onda, right. You know. And and uh, that's uh, that's what uh, uh, developed from us growing up in a black neighborhood, right? <laughs> and li listening to uh, all those, you know, big band. Uh, Turn into a capirotada. <laughs> capirotada, a salad of uh, American influence, guitar right. riffs, solos, jazz, uh, chord progressions being incorporated into the passing chords, right? Uh, 
instead of just the, the three uh, change courts, you know, the one, the four, and the five, you know. So, uh, you know, and then uh, even though we were at first, like I said, signing had two horns, we had two horns, but we were doing some very uh, modern uh, uh, riffs, you know, and, and chord progressions, and that's the kind of music. Right. If you listen to uh, a lot of our music, uh, you'll hear jazz chords sprinkled through the right through the arrangement you know right and uh and and that's what the hana music is tu corazón pertenece a todo el pueblo Ahora te ven y te apuntan con el dedo Pues qué pasó con lo orgullo que tenías Pues no decías que sin mí era mejor Ayer te vi con tu carita pintada Pero sé bien que tu corazón lloraba Podrás fingir con los que ahora te conocen Pero conmigo no se esconde tu dolor Decir que te vieron muy tomada Y platicar que ya nada te importaba Pero sé bien que tan solo fue una hablada Si yo te hablara tú volvieras de volada Tu corazón pertenece a todo el pueblo Ahora te ven y te apuntan con el dedo Pues qué pasó con lo orgullo que tenías Pues no decías que sin mí era mejor Pertenece a todo el pueblo Ahora te ven y te apuntan con el dedo Pues qué pasó con lo orgullo que tenías Pues no decías que sin mí era mejor Ayer te vi con tu carita pintada Pero sé bien que tu corazón lloraba Podrás fingir con los que ahora te conocen Pero conmigo no se esconde tu dolor Would you say that uh, having, uh, you know, you mentioned Isidro Lopez and Glenn Miller, having those influences really helped La Onda, Chicano music, the brass bands pick up their game to not just perform, but to like perfect it. I mean, just come out yes. with a boom. Because I always, <clears throat> my uh, memories of listening to your music and all the orquestas is the boom that you felt when you turned well, it on. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Like, um, we actually did one song that we incorporated that the Tonight Show 
introduction. It starts like that, and then it goes into the polka. Right, thing, right. You know, <clears throat> but that was the concept. Uh, come in, guns blazing on your intro. You know, that kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's not, uh, that's jazz. Yep. But, you know, we were just doing it, you know, <laughs> because we liked it. Right. You know, uh, if you had told us, uh, uh, read that, it, we wouldn't have been able to, right. you know, or write it out, you know. At right. the time, we were doing everything by ear, and then it developed into actual uh, music. Right. Of course, right. you know. Uh, but uh, it was all, when I listened to, like I said earlier, I never listened to my music mm. because in the process of recording it, you listen to it so much that, and the demos and the go back and forth, and, 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 and until you got it right, right. And then once you record it, you listen to it again. And then, I mean, it goes years before I listen to something right, right. again, you know. But when I listen to uh, uh, the Lettners, Little Jim the Lettners, mm-hmm. I can't believe it, man. <laughs> the energy we had. Right, right. Uh, <clears throat> the um, excitement, you know. And even the tempos were a little too fast, you know. Right, right. That, uh, that young energy. But, uh, and then we had one, Echale Cinco al Piano, which is a 2-4 polka. Mm-hmm. And the timing is impeccable, and I, I freak out, <laughs> you know, because we're not trained musicians. Right, right. We learn our singing in the cotton fields. Right, You know, right. and... Uh, and and it goes from two four to a, a, a funk four four beat, and then right back without <laughs> missing a thirty second. You know, right, it. right. Do the dog, and we're going to the dog, and, 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 and then right back to it. And we just did it all from feel, right, out of feel. Peseta de un jalón Y véngase mi prieta Pa' en medio del salón Bailemos una polca La rumba o el danzón Nomás se me arrejunta Y verá que vacilón Ay mamá Me aprieta este señor Ay mamá Que repegado estoy Siento ya Murirme de emoción Echale un cinco al piano Y que siga el vacilón Afloje la cintura y no pierda su compás Y mueva la cadera con más velocidad Repégase otro poco y no se haga para atrás Y se haga tan ranchera y aprenda a vacilar Y no pierda su compás Y mueva la cadera con más velocidad Repégase otro poco y no se haga para atrás Y se haga tan ranchera y aprenda a vacilar Ay mamá, que se apriete este señor Ay mamá, que repégase No, 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 no
este señor Ay mamá, que repegada estoy Siento ya morirme de emoción Then I listened back to uh, Para La Gente with La Familia. Right, right. And uh, that's, you know, evolution and a whole different ball game. Right, right. Uh, all scored, uh, the Dallas Symphony, and uh, Las Nubes became the, uh, known as the anthem. Right, right. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something to be proud of. Of course. But again, I, I never listened to that until years later. And... Uh, And and it's it's a good thing too. Uh, you know the you know like when I get into a car and somebody pick me up, a friend, they automatically assume that they'd be paying me a compliment by playing my music, <laughs> right. and I'm sitting there like not wanting to be rude, and 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 finally say, you know, is there anything else we can listen to? I don't want to. I've heard it so much, but but when you listen to it, you know, ten years later, mm-hmm. and you look back. And uh, it's like a photo album. Uh, yeah.
My favorite all-time, uh, what I call my Mona Lisa humbly, right. is the Total, you know, with uh, Jose Gallardo Chocho writing out the, the score to it. Right. I did a video of it that's on on uh, YouTube, and I, I use scenes from uh, that era when we were hippies. Right. And, and the picture that's on the album cover of Para la Gente was Joe Gallardo <clears throat> on it and Luis Gasca. And Tony Ham Guerrero, right. and Gilbert Cedeno, and me and Little Joe and Foreman and all the guys, but dressed up with the times. Right. And I put that in the video, and then I put scenes from uh, San Francisco, and and I titled it "What I Saw, How I Felt." Awesome. You know, and when you get a chance, go to YouTube and we'll do. look up the title. We'll do. And the music with the photos of the city uh, during the day and then at night. And then there's one scene where during the intro, uh, I do the prelude where I come in and uh, free form and the, and the strings are there. And gotcha. Gallardo actually, because I didn't get to rehearse it. Right. I never even sang the song. I just learned it at home. They told me I was going to sing it. Right. And I came to the studio and I heard all these sounds <laughs> and I got nervous, you know, and, right. and uh, I always say I was so nervous I did it one take, you know, <laughs> but Chocho, Joe Gallardo was, he said, follow my lead and he brought me in on the beginning and, and then the music comes in. Well, when that music comes in, there's one point where everything stops and all you hear is one note on the keyboard, ding, and on the, on the video, when you hear that note, it's a scene of the golden gate bridge covered by clouds and you barely see the point of, nice of That's the bridge. Yeah. and it's just in my mind and uh so you know when i go back and listen to all this music and and uh you kind of see your life you know right the things that you were doing and people you you've met and got to meet my idols, you know, right. many of them, Count Basie, and so many, you know. Right. Uh, we did work with Santana and uh, Malo and Malo and Tower of Power and Rick uh, uh, Stevens uh, became good friends and all of that. It's it's. Um, I talk about all this in the book, right, you right. know. Uh, but uh, getting back to your question, that is the nucleus of the mindset that even as kids not knowing that we were developing this uh, 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 this thought uh, and, 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 and mindset and energy to try our best to become the best at what we do so that we could show the world that our people 
Chicanos, mm -hmm. Mexican Americans. Because right. I, I actually call that instead of saying Mexican Americans, I say American Mexicans, because we are Americans. Right. And our parents were from Mexico, so uh, in the book I talk about that. Okay. Where Valentina uh, Estrada said we should actually say American Mexicans, you know, because we are American first. First, that's right. That's right. And 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 we wanted to say, look, I know we're a minority, and I know we're not looked at and not paid attention to, you know, but uh, we've got something to offer. Right. And it was a process because I listened to a lot of stuff that we did in English early on. Right. And it was, it was, it was rare, I mean raw, and it was innocent, and, and, but it was, it was honest. Right. And I even hear words that I pronounced wrong, <laughs> you, know, right. uh, you know, like uh, Just a Dream. Mm -hmm. One of the songs that, it gave me the courage to to want to be a singer, you know, right. Jimmy Clanton still. But when I would sing it, sitting in at age 14, I I didn't understand English that well. Right. All my plans and all my schemes. Well, the way I was hearing the song, I was hearing all my plansing, all my <laughs> schemes. And I would wonder, I wonder what the word plansing means, <laughs> you know. I've never heard that word before, <laughs> but he's singing it, right. so it must be a word. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I would say cleansing, you know. <laughs> and that adds to the authenticity of what you felt, right? That's exactly. Right. And, and, and that's the, the minority segment of our country that wants to belong and, and, and loves the American music. Right. And we are Americans, you know. Right, right. And, uh, and that was the drive that we had from the beginning. Pretendiendo humillarme, pregonaste el haber diseñado mi pasión. Y fingiendo una honda pena, imaginaste que moriría de desesperación. Yeah. 
So let's take it back. You know, you mentioned your childhood, you know, the book being called The Cotton Picker. Um, so that's that's where you come from. Huh? Yeah, the cotton fields. We were all born into the cotton fields, and uh, it was hard work. But not, not only the, the work itself was hard, uh, the environment, the, the, uh, no facilities, right. you know, the working conditions, uh, the pay, uh, $1. fifty for 100 pounds of cotton. Right, right. You know, uh, everything. The, the one thing that, that was positive about those days was that the family was together. Very true. And it was a workforce, mm-hmm. and we're all uh, always together, and that was a positive thing. But, right. uh, but having to work under those conditions and the uh, atmosphere of the KKK being so prevalent, uh, right. they literally met... Uh, a few miles down from my hometown, I was looking at a book about my hometown Temple, right. and it says in there Midway, which is between Temple and 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 Belton, which is eight miles apart. Right. Well, Midway before four miles in between, mm-hmm. there was a, a clubhouse, and it mentioned there they ha- they had these kinds of meetings and that, and that's where the KKK would meet. Wow. So I grew wow. up dealing with all that racism, right. physically fighting. Uh, you know, with the little white kids, and um, and you know, and I keep saying, those scars from the fight will go away in two, three days, a black eye or whatever. Right. But the emotional scars will never leave. Oh no. Because oh, no. when you're a little boy, and you have grown-ups cursing you out, and telling you dirty Mexican, go back from where you came from. Right. A grown-up, you know. Right. What can you do? Right. And that stays with you for. For life, you know. Very true. And I talk about all that in the book, and I explain, you know. But you know what? I also say, for every hundred racist 
Anglos that, and and basically they were the city Anglos for the most part. Right. Uh, the country people were just just amiable, you know. Right. With right. us, they were just wonderful, and it was a city that was most mostly racist, you know. But for every one hundred, you know, bad, ugly racism type of uh, Anglo that that I had to be confronting with, one white kid that befriended me and uh, accepted me and us as right. we were and there were many of them but right. but for every one of those it erased all the ugliness oh of course right all right. the ugliness right. ugliness of, of, of the racism thing right because that one kid melted away all that ugly thoughts that came to us from from the adversity of, of the right. racism that one kid was just like us and and hung around with us and treated us just right. like them, and uh, and we rejoiced in their friendships. Of know? course, of course. But uh, so the book starts out. Actually, the book starts out talking about uh, when my parents crossed over. Oh, okay. Separately with mm-hmm. their families when they were kids <clears throat> during the revolution, my mother's father. Uh, Jose Maria de Leon, whom Little Joe was named after, was a colonel with Pancho Villa. Wow. And, wow. Uh, and uh, the first picture, the, the book has 162 photos in there. And the first photo that you'll see is of my grandfather on horseback with his army, soldiers, mm-hmm. and behind the horses, the cavalry, is the train cars. And on top of them sitting are the... Uh, the uh, the rest of the soldiers with the dressed wow. in white yeah. with those straw hats that are real high oh, yeah. and pointed excuse me in the carreras the, the cross right the, estilo campesino uh, campesino yeah. I mean you'd think it's a picture of Pancho Villa right, in his right. Army. <laughs> so I talk about them crossing over into the central Texas uh, Sneed Ranch and as they grew up they met each other and I talk about how they they met and and uh, uh, my father saw mom at a at a 16th of September, and she was a queen, and that was it. And he he had befriended a, a, a tall guy, mm-hmm. like six four, and Pop was like uh, five six, <laughs> <laughs> five seven maybe. Right. And and Mutt and Jeff, you know, mm-hmm. and they were good friends, and they each had a sister. And my father told his friend uh, Felipe, who raised his family here in Austin, they moved to Austin, uh, and. Uh, he said, you know what? I'm going to steal your sister. And and Felipe told Pop, well, I'm going to steal yours. <laughs> and they did. And it became a huge family. <laughs> you know? So they crossed over and, and, and uh, grew up in, in the ranches in central Texas. Right, right. They actually remember seeing, even though slavery was over, mm-hmm. uh, uh, technically, but they actually see... When they were kids, they saw uh, uh, slaves, you know, right. crossing from one end of the, <clears throat> their area to another right. who were known to be slaves, you know. When mom and pop <clears throat> went to sign up at uh, elementary school, they were physically thrown out. Wow. So they didn't, they didn't get an education, right. you know. Uh, and that's where I come from, right. you know. So when I was uh, thinking about writing the book, uh, you know, I thought about a lot of things, but uh, the one thing that stuck to me was 
the cotton picker because that's what I am. Right. Who grew up to do other things. Right. You know, but uh, the cotton picker in an, an Odyssey, you know. Right. And there was also another reason that influenced me to write that title. And I say that proudly because it's one of my favorite actors who's also Sagittarius, uh, Kirk Douglas. Uh-huh. You know, and he had a similar story growing up dirt poor. Right. Even poorer than we were. Mm-hmm. And his father would go around picking up uh, clothes that had been given away to the poor and all of that. And, and he'd uh, uh, clean them up, you know, wash them and, and have them cleaned up. And, right, right. And then he'd go out and sell them, you know. And, and Kirk Douglas called his book The Ragman's Son. You know, got you, got because you. the father would pick up the rags and right, clean them up right. and go sell them. And that stayed with me. Right. So I decided to call mine uh, the cotton picker. You know? And you, so you, you have experience with back in the day when Hispanics, Mexicans would get in trouble for speaking Spanish in public. Oh, yeah. And did that limit your, your wanting to go to school? In that environment, that was part of what uh, that was part of what limited it. You know, I, I really hate to say this, but uh, me going to school every day, I looked at it like uh, going to the jail or the pen. Or, right. I right. mean, I was traumatized because all of the oppression, yeah. I guess, yeah. that you felt. I'm going with hand me downs, holes in my shoes, you know, and all kinds of things that that the little kids would make fun of. Right. Uh, I write about in my book an incident where. We used to always take our lunch and eat out, you know, at the little grocery store, right. at tacos and stuff like that. But when it rained, we had to uh, eat in the cafeteria. This is elementary, you know, and we couldn't afford to pay for the, the right, cafeteria the food, right. you know. And sometimes mom would make us, uh, instead of the tortilla taco, she'd make homemade bread and put the beans in there, you know. And... It was uh, the, the first time the, the white kids saw that, they started laughing at me, you know. Right, right. So it was so, God, you know, embarrassing and uh, uh, humiliating, but on the one hand, on my side, but so horrible that, that I had to feel like that right. because of the way those kids were, right. that I would take the brown bag and put my hand inside and pull up the sandwich and take a bite without taking it out. Wow. You know, wow. so that they wouldn't see it. And they would be laughing at me. So, yes, uh, I I hated going to school. And I tried to understand, uh, you know, what uh, was being taught, but uh, I couldn't, you know. There was too many barriers I, there. Too, too many barriers. And, and uh, luckily I had some really good, wonderful teachers that, that could sense all of this. Right. You know, and, uh, and went... The, the extra mile to try to get me to understand things, you know. Right. But, you know, my first grade teacher, when I first went, uh, the, when I actually went to school, because they tried to send me one, uh, and you'll read about it in the book, they tried to send me to school, and, they, and I wasn't ready, so they sent me home. <laughs> <laughs> but that's another story. Right, right. But, uh, but the, when I first finally went to Reagan's school there in Temple, Miss Sheffing, I'll never forget her. She reminded me of my aunts mm-hmm. that I grew up with. And, uh, I mean, she's talking, and I'm listening, and, and I'm saying, what is she saying? You know? 
<laughs> what is she talking about? I didn't understand. Right. But she was so loving, man, that she knew that I didn't understand anything, and and uh, she'd help give me extra help. And right. and then I failed the first year, and 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 got her again, and and she helped me even more. And from there on, uh, I didn't fail anymore to the ninth grade. But as I said earlier, um, I really didn't. I I think they passed me because they wanted to look good. Right. The quotas know, and stuff quotas like that. Quotas and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, because I, I, I really shouldn't have been uh, passing, you know. Right. But I learned enough to communicate, and, and you know. Would you say that, that the music, your love of music and listening to American music, uh, helped you in your education, in immensely. your articulation? And, and immensely. Uh, what, I, uh, what I didn't understand uh, from the books, uh, I picked up from the songs, you know. Gotcha. And then I put them together. Right. You know, but... Uh, the music, uh, the general market music, uh, was a lifesaver for me in communication. And, and then as I grew older uh, and I started listening to artists do interviews mm -hmm. on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Right, right, of course. And even since then, like listening to Sting do an interview, you know, uh, such an intelligent gentleman, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, you strive to to learn from these people. We met right. Johnny Mathis, you know. We met uh, Count Basie. We met David Clayton Thomas. I talked to him five times, you know, <laughs> uh, on and on and on. Right. And and you hope that uh, a little bit of that rubs off on you, right, so right. that you can do a better job yourself, you know. And yes, uh, uh, my country, America. You know, right. definitely helped me to fit in, you know, uh, with the uh, American side of things. Right. Because, you know, I don't mean this uh, in a bad uh, manner, but uh, I always say that, that there's two reasons why I'm more American, you know. One is because I'm Hispanic and right. we're here first. Right. Uh, indigenous, I should right, say. Right, right, right. You know, and the other one is because I'm a Texan. <laughs> <laughs> So that makes me more of an oh, American. That's right. You know? <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> you know. And and one of I mean my favorite you know songs of yours, uh, Por un Amor. Oh my God! Yeah. Val, from Valbon. Yeah. Any memories of that recording? Yes, I remember exactly singing it. I I see the the room. Wow. Vividly, you know, and it was it was also because um, before I sang Por un Amor, <clears throat> which was the first. Spanish song, right? I was doing all the English music, you know, and I had recorded "Confidential," which uh, Marcelo Tafoya uh, made popular oh, yeah. with me, and Ramona and "Little Girl of My Dreams," and uh, "Put Your Arms Around Me" by Little Richard, and I had done that, and I could feed off of, uh, you know, a "Sunny Night" on "Confidential," and and "Little Richard" and "Just a Dream" by Jimmy Clanton, you know, it gave me something to work with. But, uh, and even when I sang uh, A Little Girl of My Dreams that was written by Little Joe and Ramona by Jesse, my brother, right. brothers, I could feed off of the English thing. But when it was a Spanish song, which I had never heard before, and I didn't know how to approach it, you know. And I said, well, you know, what am I going to do here? Literally, you know. Right, right. So I said, well, uh, here goes nothing, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I sang into it, and it, when they played it back, it's true. You know, I had heard myself in English, but when I heard myself in Spanish, I said, "Is that me?" <laughs> and uh, and uh, and and that was the first time my identity came into being in Spanish. You know, and it was a uh, lucky for me. Uh, Por un amor was uh, was what really took uh, little girl and the Latinos and little girl and la familia out into the world to the next level. Literally, right? yeah. you know, uh, as the Latinos, we were playing locally. Right. It took us uh, 100, 200 miles out in circumference, you know. Right, right. And then it took us further into the valley, into West Texas, and it took us to the Southwest, the Midwest, and uh, that Por un amor recording, man. <clears throat> Would you say that Por un Amor is one of those songs of yours that if you don't play it at a gig of yours, you get some angry people coming yeah. up to them? <laughs> yes, uh, definitely. You know, it's, and, it's become your satisfaction to the yeah. stones. You got to play it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it's an honor that they feel that way. Right. And, uh, uh, and I never get tired of singing it. And it's a challenge. Every time I sing that one song, right, right. it's a challenge, man. Maybe because I was traumatized going into it, <laughs> that how am I going to do this? It stayed, right. literally psychologi right. psychologically stayed with me. Right. You know, it's, every, I'm on my P's and, and T's, you know. Uh, right. Every time I, I approach that song, even right. now, and even tonight. But um, and so I do it, you know. But when I went to see an artist that I liked, mm -hmm. Chicago, for example. Oh, yes, Chicago. And I didn't hear my song. I wasn't mad. I was just so like, it took the air out yeah. of me. <laughs> oh, my God. And I thought, I guess that's how people feel when they don't hear the song that they went to hear that right, I recorded. Right. I could relate to that, you know. But the flip side, when they do hear it, oh, my God. A million bucks, right? Uh, it's, it's a million, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and I don't care if it doesn't, if the PA is not up to par, right, the right. guy's played it, and it's <laughs> Chicago, and he's saying beginnings, right, you know, right. and <laughs> and it's on it fabulous, <laughs> even though the PA system went out, right. even that part sounded good, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's magic, you yeah. know, it's magic.
so so back to your book, The Cotton Picker, an Odyssey. Uh, I know a lot of people that always talk about writing a book, and you did it. What got you to to jump, make leap of faith, and put your yeah. feelings out on literally paper? people, um, uh, friends and fans, through the years kept asking me, why don't you write your life story? And then I, you know, I I, I kind of smile. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea, you know. And then, um, and they would go on and on, you know, until it happened enough times to where I said, well, you know what? I really should. But what was holding me back from the beginning was that, as I explained, I didn't have a formal education, you know. Uh, I didn't, I had no idea how to go about writing a book, you know. Right. At all, you know. Uh it's like when I left Luzio and La Familia and I started my own band, Johnny Hernandez and Third Coast. The biggest worry I had for my first gig was, was which was at the Waco Missions. Waco. Uh, I had the finest musicians. I, we had rehearsed. The biggest concern I had was, how am I going to talk to the people? Because I had never spoke to the people. Right. Joe right. did all the emceeing and everything. And... And I thought, well, I'll just, I know them. Uh, I just say, hello, introduce the song and talk to them. Like if I'm, like I've always talked to them right. when I'm sitting with them at the table. And the night went really nice and I got through it and I said, wow. So the book uh, in 2004, what really encouraged me to do it was I was working at uh, Telemundo by that time. Uh, they had talked me into getting into uh, radio as an account executive, which I knew zero about, <laughs> but they wanted, because people knew me, they wanted me right, to become right. a salesperson. And I was hanging around in New Mexico. I said, yeah, I'll do it, you know, like always. <laughs> so the, the first day I went in, uh, I said, what's that? That's a computer. Said, really? How, how do you turn it on? Said, Over here on the side. Oh, we're going to teach you how to use that to put proposals together. <laughs> you know? Okay. So then I left and, and uh, you know, kept going. They keep calling me back, right. the other network. Then I left, came back. I was living in San Antonio. <clears throat> and then they called me to go. Uh, some of the same people I had worked with, mm-hmm. one of them became manager at uh, Telemundo. <clears throat> Excuse me, in uh, Albuquerque. And while I was working there, the guy that he had in charge of, uh, of uh, uh, going and filming the, the client's venues like uh, furniture stores or, right, right. or whatever the, the client was for the commercial, mm-hmm. you know, production, you know, uh, and copy, you know. Uh, we I'd go with them to my client's venue and uh, uh, store, you know, and we'd do all the shoot and right. come back and then I'd sit with them as he was putting together the commercial. And he was from Chile. And, uh, and, the, and the manager was from Mexico. But he was a big fan of ours, and it became a dear friend of mine. Right. You know, Gabriel Zavala. And he told uh, the gentleman from Chile este, uh, that our history, you know. So when we would go to the shoot, uh, I'd play him some of my music, and he'd play me some of their music from Chile. And we'd exchange cultures and, and language, dialogue, you know, and slangs and stuff. Right. You know. So he was in, a, uh, in awe of, of my background, you know. 
And then I did a concert with Joe at the Route 66 Casino in Albuquerque, and, and he literally saw me perform in the reaction. And that really blew him away, you know. <laughs> and then I come, you know, the account executive with the city <laughs> that leaves that world behind, right, you know. Right, right. And he said, Johnny, you need to write your life story. He says, I've got a program that is a, a script, and I can download it onto your laptop. And it's, it's self-explanatory, the scenes, and you just type in what you want to type in, close-ups, or uh, de describe the scene and faraway shots. And, and I said, well, you know what, man? Put it on my laptop, and I'll check it out. And, uh, and I looked at it, and I said, well, I'm going to try it. You know? And I started. And, but the approach I took was, I, you know, I don't know enough English, uh, proper right, right. Know, uh, English to, to write a book and, and, or how to go about it or a script. I started with a script. And uh, how do I do this? I said, well, I know my life story, and it's about me. So that's what I'm going to say. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. I'm going to talk about, <laughs> I'm going to think as far back as I can think right. and start there. And I started with uh, the cotton fields and when I used to sing you all for my right. my uncles and grandparents and stuff. And uh, and I started from there forward. And uh, I wrote the script. And then I got a good friend of mine, Richard Iniegas of Boulevard Nights fame on TV mm -hmm. back in late 70s. Right, right. 80s. Uh, I, I met the gentleman, wonderful gentleman. And, and I told him what I did, and he was gracious enough to read it for me because I needed an opinion you know right <clears throat> and he read it and then he sent it back to me and uh, uh, he said Johnny I love the story you know and I, I like what you're saying but it's neither a script or a book my advice to you is that you start all over again and write it as a book I said uh Okay, <laughs> not once but twice. You know, <laughs> you know right. lucky me. <laughs> but I, I admired him and I took his advice. Mm -hmm. But what I did was, I kept what I had written uh, on the script. You know, which was uh, like uh, paragraphs and stuff like that. Right. Enough of it to read uh, what I was thinking. You know, my train of thought. You know, and then started typing. Okay, so I started saying about my grand, my grandfather being a villista. Right. You know, it, it only explains a little bit, but I'm going to elaborate on that. And then I took it from there. And once, what, what did I say next? Right, and, and right. Then, and, and then, I, you know, I took it. So, I, you know, um, I went from 2004 to uh, 2015 when I finished it. And, and the wow. reason, and, and even then I had, because I talk about a lot of uh personal things right and I wasn't easy on myself if I was going to talk truth about why I broke away from La Familia and discrepancies that I had with my brother and and, and things that happened you know good and bad then I was going to be honest about my shortcomings right which were many and I talk about that you know and uh, and I was still holding on like should I make that public or not you know <laughs> but again through the art form known as radio and interviews, <laughs> a gentleman from uh, 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 San Antonio, at the, I was doing a, an interview, and, and he asked me the question that had been asked for 30 years, 
and I had never talked about it, why I quit, quit the band, right. Lil Joe y La Familia, you know. Uh, but he asked it in a way that he disarmed me totally, you know. It was just so pleasant right. that I, I just re responded, right. you know. He said, uh, he asked me, and, and what about you quitting the band? He thought, and I said, well, you know, that's something I never talk about, you know. Um, I just, you know, it's personal. It's business, but it's personal, and I, I never really talk about that. And then he said, well, is it fair to say that you left the band with, like, an unhappy manner, with bad feelings of some kind? And I thought to myself, I said, that's a fair question. I said, uh, yeah, it's fair to say that. Once I said that, then I said, well, the cat's out of the bag. Uh, now I'll finish it. And that's why, by answering him truthfully, I said, now I'm going to finish the book. Of course, of and, course. And then I wrapped it up right. and, uh, and uh, published it. And in all fairness, I wanted to ask that, but I know you've got a book, you know, that I want people to well, pick I can, up. I can talk. Uh, 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 I talk about uh, from a certain point, and I'll tell you the first, the first one, so it'll give you an idea. Right. You know, uh, you know, it's Joe's band. It's always been Joe's band. Right. I've always been his employee. Right. Uh, as we grew together, I had as many hits as his did. Right. People were thought, always thought I was Joe, and I started always correct them until I got tired. <laughs> hey, little Joe. Hey, you know, because I was front a lot of the time. Right, right. You know, up front, and uh, but it was always little Joe, you know, and uh, and I, my loyalty was a thousand percent. Of course. But when we campaigned for Carter against Reagan in '80, I think. <clears throat> They hired us to campaign in San Antonio, in McAllen, where we had the honor of meeting uh, the late, great Ted Kennedy. Oh, wow. At, and I have pictures of him right. in the book with us, uh, where we took a picture together. And and, uh, and then they flew us to uh, Fort, Worth, Fort Worth, Old Town, and and, uh, and sang there and campaigning for Carter. Right. And then they flew us in a Learjet to Denver, and the band was already over there, and we campaigned over there. You know, so I'm taking this to heart. We're saying we're campaigning for Carter, you know, and that uh, he's a man and we're supporting. Right. Well, he lost. And at that time, uh, Tony Top, uh, the eldest of uh, my siblings, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Top Sergeant uh, Tony, he was being manager for the band at the time, you know. And, uh, and as soon as the campaign was over, and Reagan won. I mean, uh, yeah, Reagan, Reagan won. Yeah. Uh, literally the next day, I think, or two days later, we met at the office, and he says, "Guess what, man? Uh, we, uh, I, I, I spoke to people, isn't that? We can go play at the inauguration for Reagan." Wow. <laughs> right. Wow. And Joe, wow, really? And 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 the other members, you know, were there. And, wow. I mean, on a resume, imagine that. Right, right. And I was the only one that didn't say much, you know, and they were talking, and then I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I said, we just campaigned for Carter. We went all over the place campaigning for Carter. 
And okay, Reagan won. You know, God bless him. You know, he won. But I don't want to go sing at his inaugur- right. inauguration. Right. And that freaked everybody out that was in the room. Right. You know, what do you mean, the, the opportunity? And this and that. And Joe just looked at me, you know. And I said, I'm sorry, man. I said, uh, and that was the first time that I said no right. to, to something, you know. I said, Joe, if you want to go with the band, go ahead, you know. But I'm not going. I, I won't go to the inauguration in honor of Carter. Right, right. And uh, there was silence, you know. Right, of course. You know, and that started what had already been a little bit of uh, bad vibes between friction and I. There, yeah. and friction, you know, because I had come into myself and started producing some things on my own. Right. You know, and uh, that didn't help. And from there, for the next uh, four years, there was a lot of turmoil. And, right, you know, right. Uh, uh, it was it was quite... So I could see that being the, the main yeah, turning but, point. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and many things happened uh, that I won't... That I didn't even talk about in the book. But, right, right. But I talk about enough things to make a point. Right. You know. Right. Uh, and, uh, that it just wasn't, you know, jealousy or no, anything like that. It right, was, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's the first thing people go to. Exactly. And know. I even say that in the book that a lot of people blame me right. for the breakup, which in, in fact wasn't my fault. You know? Right. So I explained it. And, uh, and, and it took 30 years to... Oh, of course. <laughs> to, right, to, right. To, ...to tell that story. Right. But then even after... After I left the group, whenever Joe wanted uh, a power hit, a reunion thing, he'd call me and Rocky and or call or the me, shows. You know, I remember it was a big deal yeah, when you three deal. would get yeah. together. <laughs> Always, you know. Yeah. So he would uh, uh, hire me to come in and everything. Awesome. And we did that up until um, 2008 when we did the Freddie Fender tribute. Right, right. And some things happened there that that finally. Uh, yeah, <laughs> broke the camel's back, yeah. and I said, "You know what? This is it." <laughs> and uh, that was eight years ago, right? And that was the last time uh, we performed together. There, I have seen movements with some, to my shame, with some Tejanos, with uh, even some Mexicanos, where they're either Tejano or nada, as far as music, Norteño or nada, band or nada, and. I always referred back to the back in the day when Tejano radio was everything. You could hear mariachi, uh, you know. Uh, you can hear tigres. You could. Hear, it was all mezclado. Well, if I may, no, go ahead. If I may say actually, when Tejano music genre started, mm-hmm. it was all Tejano. Right. You know. Because it was owned by Tejanos. Right. They, they had an hour here, an hour there, um, the, uh, even a TV show. Mm-hmm. But at that time, they were just playing Tejano bands. Right. You know. And then, of course, being uh, a Mexican-American, um, Mexican descent, they, they, they did always play mariachi. Right. The, 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 we still don't play banda, but uh, right, the right. Norteño came in later on. Right. And, you know, and my punto was... But the English was being played. Right. My, my punto was is that, you know, it, it's all... You can't have one without the other. We could, a lot of the Tejano uh, hits that we had were written by Cornelio Reina, right. by, by yeah. Jose Alfredo. 
And that's what I try to explain to these people. You cannot put a barrier and say this or nada because you're leaving out yeah. a lot of it. There's only one drawback, uh, setback to that. And, and um, you know, I love uh, Cornelio. Um, well, I, he was a good friend of mine. Right. I love Ramon Ayala. I, and I love Norteño music, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and all that. But um, speaking business-wise, uh, when I went on sabbatical, and they talked me to become an account executive right. for uh, first one network out of uh, Albuquerque, and then for national network, uh, uh, Radio Romantica, Radio Tricolor. Right, right. Radio Romantica is international. Radio Tricolor is, is banda and, and norteño. The, I worked as a salesperson, you know, and I loved it. They will not play Tejano music. You cannot pay them. Right. To They won't take money. Right. Because... Uh, they're into their genre. Now, Tejano is gracious. Uh, we play everybody. But the other, uh, jazz plays jazz. Uh, rock plays rock, you know. And while it's good to be gracious at all, it's bad business because we're, every second that is played on the air of something that is not Tejano, we're ousting ourselves right you know uh and this is uh the business side of it right, uh, right. it has nothing to do with uh like or not like right, music right, right. You know, we can respect it mm -hmm. and acknowledge it and play something by them acknowledging that you know but when you have it so intermixed that people don't know what is tejano anymore right and that right. what what is norteño is being called and there's a reason before, behind that. There's a reason behind they call Tejano, I mean, Norteño music Tejano. A few years back, I think it was 95, I was at uh, Tejano Music Awards the day before they have a conference. And I was just sitting there, you know, not intending to talk or anything. Right. <clears throat> you know, and everybody's saying their opinion about why we're losing radio stations and why we're losing venues and this and that. And they finally asked me, and, you know, I said, well, I said, uh, you know, we play everybody. Not everybody plays us. They don't reciprocate. Right. You know. Right. If they did, it would be great, but they don't. I said, look, I love Michael Salgado, and I love his music, and he's from San Antonio, mm -hmm. but he's not a Tejano artist. Right. He's a Norteño artist. I love Freddie Fender, and I know him, and I love him as a brother, and he's a Tejano from San Benito. But he's not a Tejano artist right. by his own admission, you know. I think it's wrong that we uh, mix other genres on a Tejano format radio. I think if we said, this is a Tejano radio station, but in acknowledgement and paying honor and tribute to our Mexicano brothers and sisters, from 7 to 8 you can hear some of their music. Right. But that's not the Hano Hour. That's their music. Right. Make it, because the new generation that's growing up, they think Norteño is Tejano. Yep. And see, I credit in the book, I, I, I compliment and salute Nuestra uh, Gente Mexicanos, the entrepreneurs and the, and the promoters and, right, the, right. and the radio people, you know. I say they're smart. They saw that we were playing their their music, and slowly by 
slowly, a little at a time, they infiltrated and named their artist Tejano artist. Right, right. And it got accepted. And our DJs, meaning whale and all everything, started playing them as Tejano artists. Instead of calling them Mexicano artists, right. they called them Tejano artists. So the new generation doesn't know the difference. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And uh, I'm an outsider because of that. You know, uh, there's a lot of other reasons. You know, <laughs> that I'm an outsider, an outcast. You know, but uh, uh, you know that's cool. Uh, the reason I can say that is because I grew up when Tejano music was born. Right. And we became. Right. We we made the genre when there was no genre. Right. We created it, and and I'm not being, uh, you know, uh, the obnoxious about, you know, uh, uh, in any way and acrimonious feelings about right. what's happening. I, I accept what's happening, and I don't blame the the entrepreneurs and, and the, 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 the promoters from Mexico. I blame our people right. because they gave it away, yep. you know. And, and, uh, and, and then I started hearing uh, that the venues we used to have, uh, the Norteños have mm-hmm. it, and uh, the radio station we used to have, the Norteño music has it, and and that's why I said, well, why shouldn't they? You know, we gave it away. Yeah. And when they were protesting the uh, Reliant Stadium, mm-hmm. the last time I did there with uh, Lil Joe and La Familia and Rocky, and and uh, uh, another group, Tejano, uh, modern that uh, borders on Tejano and, and Norteño. Right. At the limite, uh, we had seventy-five thousand people there. You know, after that, they don't hire any more. Tejano groups. Right. And Lil Joe and other people were out there protesting, marching, and I was doing an interview. And they asked me about it, and I said, they're going about it the wrong way. I said, uh, they, uh, the Reliant isn't obligated to do business with anybody. They do business with anybody that brings a good proposal to them. Right. That right. makes logical sense, dollars and cents sense you know i said the problem is not that uh you're supposed to go out there and 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 protest the problem is we don't have representatives that will compete with the mexican representatives on a business level right with proposals and take them you know uh, qualitative quantitative information that will impress them enough to say well you know what you're right the community is strong enough and and supports what you're saying. So uh, my point was they're going about it the wrong way. Right. Because right. and I and I say that because you know if I was at the Reliant and I was a business person there and I was doing the bookings and and Mexico brought me a proposal that made a lot of sense and so did the uh, the rock groups and the country groups. Mm-hmm. And then the Tejanos don't bring me a proposal literally that shows stats, you know, frequency right. and, and cum and uh, everything that goes with uh, the university of that particular radio listening power right. and all of that, you know. And why should I bring that show in? Right. So that's how we need to, to go in there prepared with a well-informed, what they call a comprehensive, you know, proposal to gain 
the, the, the venue. Right, you know? right. So all of that's been happening. And, uh, and, 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 the, and the thing about it is that, you know, uh, what I also told them at that meeting, I said, uh, you know, Tejano music is, true Tejano music is horn bands, you know. Right. But so is Mas and Remerera. They're just a modern Tejano music with electronics. Right. I've done albums with nothing but electronics and without horns. And then I come back to the horns. I love it, you know. Uh, the Tejano conjunto is Tejano. The Norteño conjunto is a different right, thing. Right. You know, I said, now, to make a, a point, I said, you know, just because the word Tejano is popular, you can accept a Norteño group and label it Tejano just because, which was what was done. Right, uh, right. Very smartly so by the Mexicanos, mm -hmm. you know. A uh, smart move. It's a soft takeover. Right. You know. Right. I said it's like I can't take my band with horns and everything and go to the square in Mexico where they have uh, fifty mariachis at one time and say, "Here's my mariachi." Right. 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 Just because the, what's popular there is mariachi, I can't call my my Tejano band a mariachi right. and play the way we play. Exactly. And that was my point. Right. Well. Nobody agreed and nobody disagreed with me. Nobody said nothing. <laughs> and I sat down and I was quiet for the rest of the day. <laughs> oh, but that's very true. And one of the things that I've seen and, and I kind of disagree with because of its labeling. If a festival is labeled a multicultural festival, I'm all for whoever wants to play. But if it's a Tejano festival, I've noticed more and more you have headliners like Masore. Yeah. Nothing against them. They do right. their, their thing yeah. great. But if, uh, like you said, at the Hano Festival, it seems like they're needing Masore. See, and, and that's exactly what I say about the radio format. You want to call it uh, a review of music? Right. You know, uh, 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 play all kinds of music. Uh, Norteño, Mariachi, Tejano, English. Great. But don't call it a Tejano right, right. program, right. you know. The, uh, you know, everything has to be in, in its proper right. or, or, or place. Right. And, and it's misleading. What happens is people come in from all over the country and they see Mesore or, uh, you know, Los Palominos or Ramon Ayala. And they go away and they say, man, we saw some great Tejano music. <laughs> right, right, right. You know. And that falls back into what I said. Yeah. We are to blame for that. Yeah. It's our own fault. So, okay, amigos, the book is called The Cotton Picker, An Odyssey. Don't forget that part. And I recommend this read to all of our listeners. If you want to know uh, exactly the history of what it means to be Hispano, Latino, Mexican, an immigrant, it's all here, and I highly recommend it. Johnny... Thank you so much for sharing a part of your life with us, not only with this interview, but with that book. I mean, you have no idea. For us that live that struggle, it means so much. And I thank you. Thank well, you very much. you know, I am so grateful that you guys came out and, and uh, took time to do the interview. Um, it's important to me because things need to be said. That's right. You know. And they need to put, uh, be put in perspective, you know. 
And while everybody has their own opinion of things, uh, what I wrote about is things that I lived. Right. And, That's uh, your truth. And it's my truth, you know, and the truth of many people. Right. You know, so I am very thankful to you uh, and your radio station and and uh, and for taking the time and giving me of course. the opportunity to speak on this. Our pleasure. And right now, uh, you kind of did it, but I'll uh, let you do it again. Is uh, any message you want to give your fans that are listening right now? It, the mic is yours. Well, first of all, you know, think about what I said. We are all familia. Uh, this country, our lives will be so much better when we unite uh, with all races, but in particular with our Mexicano brothers and sisters, because we are blood, you know, and it will help us not only <clears throat> in uh, the cultural thing, but uh, the political thing, the power that it'll give us, and that we need, you know. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is um, my advice to everybody, especially musicians, is, you know, don't drink alcohol. Don't do drugs. Uh, you know, don't uh, uh, waste your time with false highs. In my world, the music is the high, you know. And I'll be honest, and uh, I advocate pot, grass. I've been around it all my life. I know that it's not what they claim it to be. Right. I gave it up because when I had that epiphany, I promised to drop. If I was going to stop partying uh, that uh, with substances of any kind, it was going to be 100%. You know, but uh, as that pot to me is not harmful. No. You know, I all. agree. I agree. But alcohol, it is a poison. Right. Literally, you know, and cocaine. And all of that, you know, uh, if you are experiencing it, find a way. And you can do it. It's the mindset. The body wants everything, and the body's never going to tell you not to give you what it wants. Once your mind says that's it, once your mind says that, the body will eventually uh, accept that it's not going to get it anymore. Right. And that's how I quit. And uh, that's my advice to everyone. And the other thing is that I just want to say thank you to all my friends and fans that for 54 years have been in my corner. Uh, thank you so much for that, and uh, God bless you all, and happy holidays. <laughs> there you go. And I also wanted to, to throw in, I'm always surprised how big the drug issue is in music because you'd have thought Keith Richards did them all already and didn't leave us. <laughs> <laughs> we, we hid some from him. Yeah. <laughs> But thank and, and and real quick last question uh where where is your book available? It's available uh on amazon.com and on uh createspace.com. Uh it's not available uh in stores by choice. Right. Because of I made that uh choice. Right. Because of uh, the uh, royalty rates and stuff. I uh, my Thinking on that is that I already picked a hundred pounds for a dollar fifty. You know, I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. You know, I know that's yeah. right. I know that's so, right. So, uh, but it's so easy to just go to Amazon and order it, or you can go to my website, uh, biz That's B I Z. When it opens up uh, the, on the upper left-hand corner, you'll see. I think the second little box there that says the book or the cotton picker click on it and when it opens up you can order it either on uh, 
paperback or on Kindle from Amazon.com or for CreateSpace.com. Awesome. And let me tell you, man, everybody out there who's thinking of getting this book, um, Johnny is approachable. If you buy this book, you see him at a show, he will sign it. He will... Please. You know, he will you know, talk please. to you about it, you know, yeah. and everything. So, uh, well, this book is about you guys. That's right. It's about your life and my life. And a lot of people that uh, hadn't, uh, I had the opportunity of uh, sharing my life with. You know, I wouldn't have made it. All right. I hear you. I hear and, you. And uh, so I'm grateful. Of course. Yeah, to all those people. And we're grateful to you, brother. We really are. And we wish you nothing but the best. And we hope to see you real soon. Thank you very much. All right. Enjoyed it. All right. <laughs> there you have it. Rancho Alegre Radio.